protecting kids from online predators. We held him in our arms until he took his last breath and passed away. The heartbreaking story of Carson Cleland and how his death is inspiring the province to hold social media companies accountable. A bell-to-bell -bell ban on phones. I know that he has used his cell phone when he's in class, <laughs> when he shouldn't be. What parents and students say about putting smartphones away at school. And a heavy rain warning. Probably the biggest precipitation event that we've seen to date this fall and winter. The atmospheric river targeting the west coast and the growing risk of floods and landslides. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We'll get to those stories in just a moment, but we begin tonight with breaking news and a major fire burning now in Steveston. Jordan Armstrong is live in the newsroom with the details. Jordan, the grocery store that's burning right now is well known in that community and, below and beyond. Yeah, Chris, it is. Firefighters definitely have their hands full with this one. Let's go right to the video. Smoke pouring out of the super grocer and pharmacy in the heart of Steveston Village. It's a family-run business in operation since 1979. Lots of fire crews right now in the area of Moncton Street and Number 1 Road. We got word of the fire around 5 o'clock. We don't know how or where in the store the fire started, but the business would have been open at the time. It typically closes at 9 in the evening. If you know Steveston, you know a lot of the buildings there are quite close together. In this case, fire crews will no doubt be concerned about exposure on the south side. That's where the gap is only about a car length or two from neighboring buildings and businesses. We don't know the cause of the fire. We don't know if anyone's been hurt. We do have a crew heading to the scene and we'll bring you more information and video as soon as it's available. Back to you. All right, Jordan, thanks very much. A crane accident has closed a section of the low heat highway tonight. The crane collapsed at a tower under construction at Gilmore. Low heat is currently closed from Gilmore to Madison. Part of the crane is dangling from the side of the building. Ani Group is the developer on the project. Its chief of staff says there was a malfunction with the crane on site. And there are currently no injuries to any employees. WorkSafe has been on the scene since the accident happened. Ani says the road will open in both directions very soon, but, curb lane east, but the curb lane eastbound on Lougheed will remain closed. All right, the other big story today, the B.C. government is targeting social media companies with a series of new initiatives designed to protect kids from harmful content. As Catherine Urquhart reports, the legislation was inspired by a Prince George boy who died by suicide after being sextorted online. A warning, some of the content in this story could be upsetting. We held him in our arms until he took his last breath and passed away. We stand here today as two broken parents trying to do everything to make sure this doesn't happen to another family. Three months ago, Ryan Cleland and Nicola Smith were left devastated after their 12-year-old son Carson was extorted online and subsequently took his own life. We only wish that Carson knew that we loved him more than anything in the world and that we would do anything to keep him safe. Now the provincial government is expediting new legislation. It will provide the tools for an individual's explicit photos to be removed online 
and seek to hold social media companies responsible for harms they cause. There was a recent significant decision out of California, uh, Saskatchewan, uh, we understand, has launched uh, litigation against a social media company in Canada as a Canadian example. And we believe that they have negligently designed these algorithms in a way that promotes their profits at the expense of the mental health of our kids. The legislation will be similar to that used to sue tobacco and opioid companies. The Civil Resolution Tribunal's new process will help fast-track legal process to make it quicker and easier to legally order um, pet predators to stop sharing or threatening to share private images. Legislation where you can hold accountable any of the issues that we've seen, that would be actually ideal because then we can actually do it case by case and say, this is how this individual young person was affected by their experience in the platform. What was the company's responsibility? Support mechanisms are also being put in place to help anyone who is being targeted. If you are or know anyone who is dealing with this, getting harassed or being asked for personal information, personal pictures, please do not talk to that person. They are not your friends. BC's effort to target explicit online photos and social media companies begins Monday. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Now, as part of the push to protect children, the province is restricting students' cell phone use during the school day. As Kristen Robinson reports, the goal is to have each district create its own phone restrictions by the start of the next school year. With kids often glued to their mobile devices at school, scenes like this are increasingly rare. The province moving to ban cell phones in classrooms bell to bell to ensure students are focused on learning and safe from social media dares and online bullying. The research is in. It's very clear that when a kid is trying to learn in school and they pull out their phone to check for messages, that it takes them an extended period of time. Uh, the data I've heard is 20 minutes to be able to re-engage with the material that's in the classroom. Wait, what are you counting? As the father of a nine-year-old, David Eby says his son often reminds him other kids at his school have phones. Oh, thanks, Ez. And it's time for him to get one, too. As a side note, I mentioned to Ezra this morning that I would be announcing this, and he said, oh, man, Dad, you're going to be the number one enemy at my school. <laughs> it's just a no-brainer. Obviously a great idea. You shouldn't be in class with us. 100% because they get distracted, they get in trouble, my daughter's um, gotten detentions. <laughs> How this policy takes shape will be up to school districts in partnership with teachers. Ontario implemented a similar ban in 2019, leaving enforcement to individual boards and schools. That failed miserably in Ontario and I'm concerned it'll fail here. So the approach should be simple. A clear province-wide directive saying no cell phones in classrooms except in limited cases where the teacher requires it for educational purposes. The BC Teachers Federation not available for interviews. In a statement it said, teachers, schools and school districts have a variety of ways to address cell phone use in classrooms and schools which may involve some or no restrictions. I'd be concerned about losing that type of contact with him. At the same time I know that he has used his cell phone when he's in class. <laughs> New policies will be in place restricting cell phone use in all BC schools by the start of the next school year. Kristen Robinson, Global News. And a reminder, if you or someone you know needs help, you can call or text 988. 
That's Canada's new suicide crisis helpline. The service is available in both English and French 24 hours a day, every day. Three days after she said she had been reinstated by Langara College, controversial professor Natalie Knight has been fired by the school. I've been reinstated in my role as an instructor effective immediately with no disciplinary action. That was Knight on Tuesday speaking at a pro-Palestinian rally near campus. She had been on leave since November when she publicly praised the October 7th Hamas attacks as amazing and brilliant. In a statement today, Langara said while Knight had been cleared to return, she was also expected to ensure any future remarks didn't celebrate violence against civilians. A series of flood watches are in effect with a stream of major storms set to slam into the south coast. As Alyssa Thibault reports, those systems will bring heavy rain and warmer temperatures causing significant snow melt and a whole lot of water moving downstream. Near Campbell River on Vancouver Island, flood mitigation is already underway. We proactively started releasing water from the John Hart Dam downstream into Elk Falls Canyon, the Campbell River system. Beginning Saturday, a series of storms will hit the south coast, bringing days of heavy rain. We are going to have probably the biggest precipitation event that we've seen to date this fall and winter season. West Vancouver Island will bear the brunt. Some areas could see up to four metres of rain in the coming days. It's already wet. It's been wet. So this will be a continuation of wet. Tofino is no stranger to heavy downpours, but the mayor says residents are being told to prepare properties for potential flooding and the possibility of landslides, particularly along Highway 4. So that is a concern. I know that Highways is very, very uh, aware of that and, and they'll be watching that very closely. The storms will continue moving northeast, bringing the heaviest rain to the North Shore and up through Howe Sound. Temperatures will also be rising. The avalanche risk is rated considerable for mountains, including around the North Shore, Whistler and Vancouver Island, due to increasing snowmelt. Up to anywhere between 50 and even as much as 150 millimetres of additional snowmelt over the weekend and into early next week that's going to then be going on top of that um, runoff from the rainfall. While the term atmospheric river can trigger concerns from the 2021 flood, forecasters say only moderate rainfall is expected in Abbotsford. BC Hydro says teams will be monitoring reservoir levels but warns surrounding areas could be dangerous. Obviously water levels can rise quickly, um, inflows can speed up and so really the message is just to just stay away from the waterways right now. Alyssa Thibault, Global News. All right, let's go straight to senior meteorologist Christy Gordon for more on this. And Christy, Environment Canada has now issued a special weather statement. That's right, and a rainfall warning, but it's just for a particular area. It's for House Sound and the North Shore, Sophie. Those areas hit that rainfall warning criteria, whereas the Sunshine Coast and Vancouver Island did not hit that criteria. You'd be wondering, well, why are we so worried about all this rain? It's because it's going to be a prolonged period of rain beginning tonight, and it will extend right into Wednesday. So during that five-day period, we're talking about 200 to 300 millimeters of rain along the West Coast, inner coast 150, and look at the North shore and how sound up to 250 millimeters of rain. Now we had 250 millimeters of rain in Hope back in 2021, but that was over a much shorter time period, three days versus spreading it out over five days. Nonetheless, all areas will be watching very closely. So when, when I come back, we'll talk about more about the risks that we're expecting. All right. Thanks, Christy.
B.C. Health Minister Adrian Dix has named the province's new seniors advocate who will replace Isabel McKenzie when she retires in April. Keith Baldry joins us now with more on the new advocate. Keith, what do we uh, know about Dan Levitt? Yeah, he's got quite the resume, I have to say. 30 years experience in the issue of uh, treating seniors. He's an adjunct professor of gerontology at uh, SFU, adjunct professor of nursing at UBC. He teaches at BCA, BCIT as well. He's recently been the CEO of Kin Village in, uh, in Delta. Before that, he ran Tabor's Senior Village in Abbotsford. So a lot of experience. I questioned him today at the news conference, put it to him, what is his top priority? What are his chief challenges? Here's what part of his response. The first thing I'm going to do is uh, go around the province and, and tour and, and speak to older people, speak to their caregivers or family members and find out what are their biggest concerns, and especially in the areas that, that we look at, uh, transportation, housing and care, and then hear from them and, and then look at those issues that matter most to them and, and matter most to British Columbians. And then we'll be researching them, look at for systemic issues, and we'll focus on them in a series of reports in the next several years. So he's got big shoes to fill with Isabel McKenzie departing. She did an exemplary job there for BC's first ever seniors advocate. And seniors care is going to be a bigger and bigger issue all the, with uh, approaching retirements with record numbers. So right now, a million people over the age of 65, about one in five of British Columbians are over 65. So which means more and more pressure eventually on long-term care homes, for example, or in a number of years out with dementia issues. So seniors care, a dominant issue on the, on the horizon ahead, particularly in the healthcare system. So Dan Levitt's uh, got some big shoes to fill, and we'll see how he does. All right. Look forward to that. Thank you very much, Keith. Day five of the inquest into the deadly fire in a Gastown SRO hotel has seen video that seems to contradict earlier testimony that the building's fire alarms were not working. Travis Prasad reports. Day five started with testimony from someone who was not originally on the witness list. Jesse Smith is an Intira employee who had an office in the Winters Hotel. On the day of the deadly fire, she took short videos just a few seconds long with her cell phone. In one of them, it isn't what was seen, but what was heard that caught the attention of the jury. The BC Coroner's Service not releasing the videos in time for broadcast. The recordings show the moments the fire broke out. Flames pouring out of an interior window that opens up to the building's atrium. In one video, a loud ringing bell seems to suggest the fire alarm did go off. Up until this point, all testimony at the inquest suggested a fire alarm was not heard that day. Smith's videos were then played for former Vancouver Fire investigator Jason LaGreca, who testified by video from Nova Scotia. He too was under the assumption the fire alarm had not gone off until seeing the cell phone videos. The sound of those bells would be what I would expect to have heard with the system that was in that building. The videos also show multiple smoke detectors beeping and no water coming from the sprinkler system. Officials determined the fire was an accident sparked by an unattended candle in a unit. LaGreca recounted interviewing the tenant in question at a new residence after the blaze. They had a habit of not using candles in a safe manner and leaving them burning on their bed and had started fires in their unit previously with candles. LaGreca, who spent nearly 20 years with Vancouver Fire, said SRO fires are an almost daily occurrence ending his testimony with a recommendation to bring in stronger fire safety regulations for the buildings. If at the very least, the building was upgraded to compartmentalization where you create fire separation through the floors. 
The concept of the open atrium design shouldn't have been there. The inquest continues through to February 1st. Travis Prasad, Global News. In labor news, a tentative agreement has been reached in the strike at the Rogers Sugar Refinery in Vancouver. About 140 unionized workers had been on strike since late September. Wages, benefits and a proposal for 24-7 operations at the refinery were all points of contention in the dispute. The strike led to sugar shortages across western Canada, leaving some bakeries and businesses scrambling over the holiday season. The company says a ratification vote will take place next week. New hope for young adults battling addiction. This program is life-changing. And... A father shares the story of his son and how treatment and transition housing saved his life. That's next on the News Hour. A dramatic rescue that'll have you wondering, how did a dog ever get in there? That's coming up later. And how artificial intelligence could be a game changer in the detection and treatment of skin cancer coming up. Right now, though, the B.C. government is expanding supports for young adults in Richmond with mental health and substance abuse problems. Jennifer Palma spoke to a father who says the program has given his son and his family their lives back. This program is life-changing and, and life-saving. It's been a 10-year battle for P.F. and his family. They've been trying to get his son, who's in his 20s, help to fight substance use issues. P.F. has asked us to keep him anonymous to protect his son's identity as he works towards a brighter path. I am so fortunate that I still have my son. He has no friends because they're all frickin' dead from overdoses and laced drugs. It ain't a picnic when you're looking for your son under a tree, making sure he makes it to the, through the day. PF says it was difficult to get his son help, but that the expanded Transitioning Out program, or TOP, has made a huge difference. It's run by Vancouver Coastal Health, offering 10 new spaces for young adults aged 19 to 30 with complex mental health and substance use challenges in Richmond. It helps them find housing and teaches them how to live independently. In addition to the housing need, then we also offer this uh, program of rehabilitation and care so they can develop life skills. They give them a bright start in, in you know, becoming a fully-fledged adult. Those who run this Richmond-focused program say they've seen a high level of success with clients who have been a part of it and that it can help improve other systems. It can also mean um, reducing the burden on the healthcare system and the trauma to clients, so less substance use, less hospital admissions, um, less RCMP visits. The province says it's investing $1.57 million over three years to expand this program in Richmond and that they're working with other municipalities to see what their needs are. We know that um, mental health issues uh, tend to present um, before the age of 25. It's why it's so important to have early intervention and to have prevention um, strategies so that we can uh, you know, support you for PF, this program and what it offers is the first time in a long time he and his family have found hope. It's a hard journey. Don't give up. You'll look for any bit of compassion you can find in there because that seems to be the key to bringing around my son to somewhere good. And it's a really, really lonesome thing to do. Jennifer Palma, Global News.
A massive housing development in Victoria has been given the green light. City Council voted last night in favour of the roundhouse at Bayview Place development in the city's Songhees neighbourhood. It will contain nearly 1,900 homes, including 215 affordable rental units, along with room for commercial spaces. Some councillors expressed concerns about the project's size and impact on a heritage site, but others point out more housing is needed. The project has been in the works for more than a decade, and it could take many years before any major build-out begins. Construction is booming in the Okanagan, and while that's good for the economy, it's not so good for people living very near to a construction zone. The city of Kelowna is considering a review of construction hours, which are between 7 a.m. and 9 p.m., seven days a week, 365 days a year. Home builders say it's short-sighted to limit work during a housing crisis, but Colleen Hack, who lives in a senior's building next to an active construction zone, says the noise and disruption has been non-stop since the project began. That it's not seven days a week, it's not 16 hours a day, it's not, a, it's not infringing on the people that are still living here. The construction noise isn't going to go away. If you take away two hours of the day, the construction is just going to go on for a longer period of time and that noise is going to exist for a couple of weeks longer. There will be a motion at the next council meeting to determine if it's worth reviewing construction hours in the city. Up next, a fuel fiasco. Why filling up now is probably a good idea. The temporary shutdown of the Parkland refinery is to blame. And tonight, new details about the recent release of overpowering fumes and the harm to workers. It looks like the problems at a Burnaby refinery that sent foul fumes across parts of Metro Vancouver on Sunday will end up hitting drivers in the wallet. Janet Brown tells us why gas prices are going up again. Putting gas in your tank is about to cost more once again. They're too dang high. They're very easy to go up but very difficult to come down. The cost of gasoline is going up six cents a liter Saturday and five cents a liter for diesel. You may want to fill up today simply because this may be the first of many days in which we are going to see a rise in prices. Dan McTagg with Canadians for Affordable Energy says the reason for the jump in the cost of gas is demand versus supply. After the Parkland refinery in Burnaby temporarily shut down processing operations after last weekend's incident. Fire trucks raced to the refinery Sunday morning after the release of an odorous gas that wafted across much of Burnaby and Vancouver. In a statement, the company says, due to recent extreme cold weather, we proactively initiated steps to pause processing operations. While restarting, we encountered an issue with a processing unit on January 21st. As a result, we paused the restart and the refinery's processing operations remain temporarily shut down. We expect the refinery will be back to normal operations in approximately four weeks. Although it's only 55,000 or so barrels a day of production, that's about a third uh, to 40 percent of all uh, what is consumed uh, in the Vancouver, Lower Mainland and uh, uh, Victoria, Vancouver Island markets. I'm going to drive to Abbotsford soon, waste lots of gas just to buy cheaper gas. Not much I can do about it. Just have to pay it. And I don't live close to the border, so I can't go to the States. So. I think people just have to manage their budget a little bit more effectively. 
uh, maybe cut down on the grande cappuccinos on a daily basis. As the shutdown continues by this time next week, we could see prices hit $1.78.9 a litre. Janet Brown, Global News. And Parkland now says during the release of that smoke at the refinery on Sunday, nine workers requested first aid. And in the days that followed, another seven sought medical attention. No word on the extent of their injuries. Coming up, the keen eye of AI. They got it just in time, and I do feel very, very lucky. How artificial intelligence helps spot early stage melanoma just as effectively as an experienced specialist did. Plus, I think this has come out as spectacularly as we could have uh, hoped for. Doing the Year of the Dragon right. Meet the artist and diehard Canucks fan who made the new Lunar New Year jersey later in sports. Canadian Blood Services says more than 4,000 people have rolled up their sleeves to donate blood after lifting mad cow disease restrictions last month. People who had lived or traveled for an extensive period of time in the UK, Ireland or France in the 80s and 90s were previously ineligible to donate over fears they might have eaten contaminated beef during that time. The donation ban was lifted by Health Canada after nearly 30 years of research and surveillance. A team of researchers at Dalhousie University in Halifax believes they may have a solution to early detection of melanoma by using artificial intelligence. Nova Scotia has one of the highest rates of skin cancer in Canada. Amber Friday reports. Nearly 400 people with concerns about a pigmented lesion were able to self-refer to the Dalhousie University study that used an AI system called PhotoFinder to detect skin cancer early. We ended up finding 17 skin cancers, 11 with melanoma, which is the most fatal form of skin cancer. Marie Cavanaugh had one of the 11 cases of melanoma that was detected by the AI system. She since had surgery to have it removed. I feel like I've won the lottery, absolutely. To have uh, melanoma is very aggressive and it had spread to the point where uh, the next step would be invasive so I got it just in time or they got it just in time and I do feel very very lucky. One of the study's authors says it's a key development for cancer treatment. Luckily we were able to detect all of these in their very early stages when they were still curable but again it highlighted um, the lack of access and that there is a need for a screening program like this. A team of dermatologists, including Dr. Peter Hall, examined the images without knowing the AI results. The AI was at least as good at diagnosing and detecting melanoma as the, as the best of the expert dermatologist. In order to receive a skin cancer diagnosis in the province, you need a referral from a family doctor to see a specialist. But with nearly 150,000 Nova Scotians without a family doctor, Dr. Hall wants to see centers open province-wide using the AI photo finder where people can self-refer if they see a lesion of concern. He says that approach could dramatically reduce the time for diagnosis. It's really cost-effective compared to the cost involved if patients have their melanomas spread and require treatment. That can be in the, in the millions. Amber Friday, Global News, Halifax. Coming up. I'm ready. <laughs> Tanker the dog gets into trouble. The call came in for a dog trapped in machinery. Well, the pup created quite a problem for rescue crews later. And the artist and Canucks fan who designed the wildly popular Lunar New Year jersey 
describes the meaning behind the design. It was nice to get a little break from the rain today. It felt like spring outside in the courtyard today, Christy, mm -hmm. and that's a beautiful shot behind you. Yeah, I thought I would start with this just to start off with something bright. It was brief, but we saw a little bit of blue sky today, which that was uh, thankful because we were anticipating, then we brought, took it out of the forecast, and then it came back in. All right, the rain has taken over now, and basically we're going to see one thing after another right through Wednesday. There is a bit of a break in the action on Sunday morning, but overall we're going to see rainfall on and off. I showed you this map earlier, just wanted to highlight west coast of Vancouver Island inland sections. Some of the key areas we'll be watching as well, how sounds. Sea to Sky Highway and the North Shore. I wanted to also mention that the BC River Forecast Center said today that we could see anywhere from 50 to 150 millimeters of snow melt. So you put 150 millimeters of snow melt on 250 millimeters of rain, and that is substantial. So these are some of the risks that we could see over the next little while. Certainly enhanced river systems. They're concerned more so about the smaller rivers, not air, uh, rivers like, say, the, um, uh, the like what we saw back in 2021. Now, flood potential as well, low-lying areas, and a risk of landslides. Anywhere where there's a burn scar, that is the potential. And power outages, down trees because the ground is so saturated, and certainly um, delays in travel as well. The funnel of moisture is so narrow that it will be the key areas that are under that narrow band that will see the most impact. And we'll really need to hone in on that in the days to come because, because it's so narrow, it can sort of shift a little bit. So tune in tomorrow. I will be working through throughout the day and we'll have a better idea. That funnel, that uh, is really atmospheric river event is more so on Sunday. So tune in and I'll have a better idea as to what those areas that'll be impacted. 11 degrees. Yes, it will feel like spring, but it will be a very wet spring and we could reach 15 degrees. That's eight degrees above seasonal for this time of year. And I'll leave you with tonight's central windows weather window, which is from Kamloops. Wayne captured uh, this. It is, uh, he said it was a long exposure and that's a train there. So you can see the train going by. Wow. Thanks, Wayne. Got it. That looks so cool. <laughs> All right, thanks, Christy. A curious canine on Vancouver Island has his tail wag back after getting stuck in a place you'd never expect. Yeah, and he might have been stuck there forever if not for a tracking device and the determined work of the local fire department. Kylie Stanton has more on how Tanker got into trouble. Hi! No leash, no problem. Sit. This three-year-old Labrador knows his way around but he also knows how to get himself into trouble. He likes to hunt bunnies, unfortunately. And so Tanker wears this. And it attaches to his collar. The device, known as Tractive, follows the dog's every step with a GPS signal in real time. Its location sent via an app to its owner. It will track when he runs. What came in handy early Thursday morning. They went outside to do their business at about 5 in the morning and all of a sudden disappeared and I followed them on the tracker. But when tankers suddenly stopped, Maureen Ward got in her car thinking he had dropped his collar. That's when she was spotted by her other dog who led her here to the Nanaimo Nickel Brothers yard. And we went over to the blue bins first because I heard him crying but I couldn't tell where. And then we ultimately found him inside this giant bean. With no way of getting him out, Ward called 911. The Cranberry Volunteer Fire Department quickly arrived on scene. A little different than your stereotypical cat in the tree call. Over the course of the next two hours, the crew got to work, 
but Tanker was just out of reach. So we resorted to cutting the beam open. They really took a lot of care in making sure he had fresh air. And uh, got him out safely. Tank came out, turned around and licked and licked and licked. He was so happy to see him and so thankful. As for the beam, it was custom built and used only once. For the 2000-2001 retrofit of the Lionsgate Bridge in Vancouver. But the roughly $60,000 piece of equipment can be repaired or replaced. Here, you want to find it? It's clear tanker, on the other hand, cannot. Oh, 100%. And now, thanks to this piece of equipment, this dog will have another day. I would never have found him in this beam, I believe, if it hadn't been for the device. And he came out glorious. <laughs> Kylie Stanton, Global News. Tanker was slobbering a little bit there yeah. out of pure happiness, I'm yeah, sure. No kidding. All right, <laughs> uh, Squire's here now. What's coming up, Squire? Well, the Lions re-signed receiver Javon Katoy because they know how hard he is to tackle. I don't say this, but a couple of my teammates have said every time I catch the ball, uh, defenders are kind of scared to tackle me. Yeah, well, that's the kind of guy you want on your team. Just give him the ball and watch him run through people. Love players like that. Also tonight, satellite debris. Hello? Bye. Bye. bye, bye. bye. Returning to that breaking news in Steveston just before sports where fire has erupted at a grocery store. That's right. Troy Charles joins us now from number one road in front of this iconic store. Troy, what's the latest? Yes, we're here at Steveston and Steveston and behind me here, the super grocer fully engulfed right now. We're just going to get a shot in there. This is live. As I mentioned, this grocery store is still fully engulfed. We've been here for about 10 minutes many flare-ups all over the structure. Multiple firefighters hitting it at the moment from the aerial ladder. There's hoses at the front and there is flames coming from all over on this building right now. This is the Super Grocer here in Steveson Village, a family-run business in operation since 1979. As I mentioned, many fire crews here on scene. We don't know how or where in the store the fire started, but the business would have been open at the time. It typically closes around 9 p.m. And if you know Steve's in a lot of the buildings around here, quite close together. So crews will no doubt be concerned about exposure on the south side. As you see, many flames still coming out of the super grocer here in Steveston. And we'll stay here. I'll be live on BC1 at 8 o'clock. One good thing, it is pouring rain. I don't know how much that helps, but it can't hurt right now as the super grocer here is still fully engulfed. Back to you. Devastating fire down there for a lot of the locals. Troy, thanks very much, and we'll look forward to more details later tonight. All right, now let's get to sports. Squire is here. All right, so tomorrow the Vancouver Canucks are going to host Columbus, and that'll be the last game for the Canucks until February 6th when they'll start a road trip in Carolina. So they'll have some time off. Now, tomorrow night's game will be uh, the Canucks celebrating an early Lunar New Year, Year of the Dragon. And they're doing it with another special jersey design from Vancouver's Trevor Lai. From the man who brought you the Canucks Year of the Tiger logo and Year of the Rabbit logo, comes this, the Canucks Year of the Dragon logo and uniform. I wanted to make sure that the dragon and the skate were really integrated. So the whole idea here is that the dragon is wrapping around the team 
you know, providing it with power, um, the majesty of the actual dragon itself. And then in the eyes, I wanted to make sure that we have the blue and the green, which are, of course, the home Canuck colors. And the gold uniform is actually the second version of this year's Lunar New Year design. So the original one I designed was red. And thanks to all the fans, uh, we sold out in basically a day. Um, and so the next, you know, version that I came up with as team uh, was the gold on gold. Um, so actually in ancient times, gold has been always associated with uh, royalty. And in terms of royalty, the dragon was the animal that was associated with royalty as well. Being the Canucks designer for Lunar New Year uniforms has been a labor of love for Trevor. But this year, he incorporated the Canucks into his day job, which is the creator of the hugely successful Super Boomy cartoons. So I created a little mini episode, it's four minutes long, where Boomy is playing hockey, and because of the story, he has to recruit our all-star Canucks onto his team, and he designs, I call them like Iron Man-like, you know, robot superheroes. I think this part of what makes it special, though, is probably, I, I tell people, I remind them, this is once every 12 years. <laughs> so if you want my dragon on a, a shirt or a jersey or anything, this is your chance. Uh, it'll be another 12 years. Brendan Gallagher is going to have five games to think about that. That's not a good elbow to be throwing on Adam Pellick, but the NHL said no, no, no. Five game suspension, about $169,000 out of his pocket. And yeah, not a good look right there for Gallagher. He's usually a good hard-nosed player, but that's a little much. Uh, the BC Lions felt comfortable letting receiver Dominique Rimes go to free agency because they have a trio of pass catchers who have proven themselves in the CFL, like Keon Hatcher and Alexander Hollins, and the Canadian of that group, Javon Katoy. Adams looks to his left, throws to his left, wide open, completion, Katoy, and he's got some space, and look at the big fella go, Javon Katoy down to the 10! Javon Katoy just keeps getting better and better. Katoy has improved his numbers in each of his four seasons, and he took an even bigger step last year. So big that the Lions felt comfortable releasing all-star Dominique Rimes partly for budget reasons, but a lot because Javon Kutoy is ready to take on an even bigger role in the Lions receiving core. It means the world to me uh, from an organizational standpoint. Rhymes is my guy. We talk every day. You know, after the season, we went to San Diego for a nice little vacation trip with the guys. So it's humble to know that the organization has, they have that, that much trust in, in me. And at this point, I just got to produce like I've been doing. We don't really have true tight ends in this league but he would be the closest thing to it it's the you know the Travis Kelsey type tight end whereas he's kind of that hybrid receiver slash blocker and uh, um, you know we're, we're lucky to have him. Katoy has come a long way from when he was drafted out of the Langley Rams junior football program he jumped straight to the CFL and has gone from a raw prospect to a powerful force at receiver but it has certainly been a journey. I remember coming here in 2018 and uh, Mike Riley, Mike Riley, Brian Burnham, uh, Lamar Durant, they didn't really see me as a receiver, they just see me as like a big body guy, so they thought I was like a defensive lineman until I started working out with them, catching passes from Mike, and then I kind of like opened their, their eyes, you know. Now Katoy is a menace for defensive backs around the league. He's six foot five, 250 with surprising speed for a big man. He is no fun to defend. A couple of my teammates have said every time I catch the ball, uh, defenders are kind of scared to tackle me. So them just telling me that every, every single day, that's already in the back of my head. So I make sure, you know, I set the tone if I catch the ball. 
Training camp is still four months away, but Kutoy is working out every day, getting ready for what he hopes will be an alternative ending to the last two seasons, which have both ended in bitter losses to Winnipeg in the Western Final. I wake up every day thinking about it. The motto this year is just, is just to win, man. It's either Grey Cup or bust, because the Grey Cup is in Vancouver, so we've got to make sure we give the fans what they want. Just one day in my life. I'd like to be that large. <laughs> I'd like to be 6'5", 250, just to see what it feels like. I'm good. And that athletic, too. I got the height, not the size. But, uh, yeah, that's pretty amazing to see it in that athletic form. All right, stick around. Satellite Debris is up next. It's a grab bag of awesomeness in Satellite Debris again this week. Okay, and you know what? Uh, we just saw Javon Katoy, big man. Here are some more big things in our first offering from Satellite Debris. Don't do it. <laughs> closer, closer than they appear. Yes. Uh, <laughs> this one is from MTN, and it features a lot of very intelligent babies. Hello? Bye. Well, everybody's heard about the bird. The Today. It's a theme. It seems like a theme. <laughs> a little Surfenberg yeah. remake in that one, too. Yeah. Oh, and this last one, um, I guess Valentine's Day is coming up in the very near future. That's so right. this mm -hmm. concerns Valentine's Day. The oh, yeah. So, introduce yourself. What's your name? Well, that's hard to say. I've had many names. My very, very first one was. <laughs> it wasn't always easy. <laughs> Pie. 
And after that, it was. My little honey bunny baby. Didn't last long. My little honey bunny baby. There are more? Oh, yes. My mushy marshmallow! And then. Baby kicks. My cutie patootie. My snuggle bunny. Captain Love, Love Muffin, Love him. But finally, I became... Mr. Chickadoodle-Doodle is expected gate five. Last call for Mr. Chickadoodle-Doodle. But you know, the most important names are not the ones we are given, but the ones we give. Isn't that right, my lovely, sweetie, lovely lover lump? What's your second question? I couldn't hear me. what the last name was of his. So, something about lovey, lovey, sweetie, lovey. Lo I think he was Mr. Chick, Chick Doodle or something no. like that. Yeah. 